Matthew chapter 26. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen. Beginning at verse 38. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I want to focus on, uh, for a point of reference for the message topic, verse 38, verse 36. And that's where I should have started reading. I apologize. But verse 36 says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go yonder and pray. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. I want to talk about the message in Gethsemane. The message in Gethsemane. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord, that when your word goes forth, it will not return to you void, but it will accomplish all that you desire. Thank you that you prosper your word in the things that you sent your word to. Thank you for sending your word to us today. And thank you for what your word is going to accomplish. Grant me a fresh anointing of your spirit that I might minister under your anointing. Grant this congregation a fresh anointing of your spirit that they may hear and receive under your anointing. And through your anointing, yokes will be destroyed and burdens removed. Have your way now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and we thank you. Amen. The message in Gethsemane. I was actually very touched by the lesson on, on Wednesday night, and this is our Bible study uh, scriptures on Wednesday night uh, in Bible study, and as I was searching and praying for a word to, to give to you today, the Lord took me back to the scripture, and took me back to 
the Garden of Gethsemane, and the word Gethsemane, the word Gethsemane, and everything that happened in Gethsemane, all right? Amen. I believe the Lord will speak to us today. Uh, as I was, I was writing and thinking, uh, and I didn't write this part of it, but as I was thinking and meditating over this, I thought about the irony of the term, the Garden of Gethsemane, because most of the time you think of garden, you think of a nice place. If it's a flower garden, it's usually a beautiful place if, it's a, if you take care of it. If, if it's a vegetable garden, you get something from it that benefits you. You get food and what have you from it. And some people's gardens look so pretty. You know, uh, sometimes I'm round along and looking at people's gardens and wish I could go out in, the, in there and pick me some good fresh vegetables. Um, but, but when you look at what took place in Gethsemane, uh, you wouldn't think of it as a garden. You wouldn't think of it as a garden. So, so I hope that you'll pay attention because there is a message in Gethsemane. Amen. There is a message in, in Gethsemane. Amen. The Bible says, as we, as we look at these scriptures, that in Gethsemane, uh, that Jesus was troubled and overwhelmed with sorrow to the point, and this scripture doesn't say it, but one of the other gospel writers says that as he prayed, sweat was dropping off him like drops of blood. It talks to us about, you know, the agony of what he was facing. And when you study uh, the background and you find the reasons for that agony uh, uh, and how it, how it, how you fit into that agony, uh, you know, it ought to speak to you. Yeah, but, but Jesus and his disciples had uh, just left the Mount of Olives, and on the Mount of Olives, they had, as he talked about his death, they had pledged loyalty to him, you know, and they pledged that they would be with him even in death, that they would die if it took that, that they would die with Jesus, you know, and, and as we pointed out on Wednesday night, it's easy uh, when you're looking on to something, looking at something to make a commitment of what you would do. You know, you know, it's easy when you're not going through a test to talk about when you go through a test what you would do. But when you get when you get in the midst of the test, that's when you find out what you would really do. Yeah, that, that that's when you find out what you would really really do. So as they were on the Mount of Olives, and Gethsemane uh, is is a actually a part of the Mount of Olives, but they left when they where they were. And it's called the Mount of Olives because more than likely there were olive groves there. They planted uh, olive trees. And if you know, even today in the Middle East, uh, you want some good olive oil. You want fresh, cold-pressed olive oil from the Mediterranean. California, California toots its olive oil, but, but the trees are not old. The trees are not old. They're, they're old, old trees uh, uh, in this part of the world that have been producing olive oil for over 5,000 years. And they're still producing oil. And they made, many of them made their living off of olive oil. So the mountain of, of, of the Mount of Olives was probably a place where there were olive groves. And so they moved from where they were and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, a uh, place where Jesus probably had gone many a times, a place to get away, a place to pray, a place to place where he would spend time with his disciples. And, and so as he's there, we see, uh, and, and I'm going to not necessarily follow this in sequence, but talk about this. As he was there praying, we see him 
in agony, and, and he's in agony uh, praying because of what he's going to face, what he knows he's going to face. And, and in, the, in the first prayer, he prays, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Lord, if there is, and, and most of the time the church won't talk about this or doesn't say this, but some of the translations say that Jesus was actually saying, Lord, if there is any other way, if there's any other way for me to do what I need to do, I know that I have to die. He knew that he came to die. You know, he talked about his death, but, but he knew Roman crucifixion, and he knew the cruelty of Roman crucifixion. He knew that, that people were hung on a cross with nails in their hands, suspended between earth and heaven, nails in their feet, you know, crown of, not necessarily crown of thorns. He wore the crown of thorns, but left there to die in, in a, a, a shameful death and, 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 and left there on that cross until they died. So, so, so you know, Lord, if God, if Father, if, if, if I'm going to die, there's any other way. You know, it's, it's the shedding of blood uh, that's required by law. Amen, amen. That, 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 that I'm, 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 I'm in this role of substitution. There's any other way. Let this cup pass from me. I mean, as we said on Wednesday night, stab me, you know, kill me immediately, you know. Just, 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 just if all you want is the blood. Let the blood flow. There's any other way. Let this cup pass from me. And then he goes back the second time and he prays, Lord, um, if there's no other way, if, 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 if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Your will be done. You know. So we see Jesus agonizing in prayer. We see Jesus agonizing in prayer there in the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane. You know, he's he's about to to take on the sins of the world. He, he's, he's, he's about to, to take on your sins and my sins. And we weren't even born. We were not even born. He's, he's about to, to, to satisfy divine justice, God's re, God, the, the requirements of God's righteous law. You know, that says the soul that sins shall surely die. And yeah, and so, so Jesus being the righteous son of God, uh, following the prescription in the Old Testament of the sacrifice of animals, and 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 they had to find an animal that was that was that had no blemish, no spots, and not more than a year old. Following that example, but then he becomes the 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 the, the Lamb of God that 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 takes away the sin of the sins of the world. Amen. Spoken way before he's born. That's that's what Scripture prophesies him to be. That's who he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's a he's a righteous sacrifice, but but he is God in flesh. So so he becomes that sufficient sacrifice. There's no more need for an animal sacrifice because Jesus, amen, becomes that sufficient sacrifice, not only for the sins of the people of that time, but for the sins of those who will come after him. And like I said, for your sins and for my sins, amen. And he satisfies the righteous requirement of, of the law of God that says the soul that sins shall surely die. Now, God could have just forgiven us. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a holy and a righteous God. But, but if he just wiped away our sins, we understand through studying that then Satan could have said to, to God, you're not being fair. And Rome, Paul talks about this in, in, in the book of Rome. So to take away any ammunition from Satan, God, God, 
comes in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, dies on the cross as a substitute for your sins and my sins, become that perfect sacrifice so that God is now just in justifying us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. But as we look, as we look at the scripture, we see, we see some things. We, we, we see Jesus' agony as he faces the, the death. And part, part of the agony, part of the agony is that the righteous son of God, the righteous son of God, the, the, who knew no sin uh, on the cross would become sin for us. Oh. So that our sins would be taken away. And, and he says, Lord, if it be possible. You know, when I, when I, read, when I read this scripture, for me personally, and, and, I, and I see the commitment of Jesus uh, uh, saying, nevertheless, knowing that, 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 that he's going to die, knowing that he's facing being the righteous son of God and, and taking on the sins of the world. And that's why on the cross, uh, when, when, when he's hanging there, uh, on the cross, and, and he s feels and senses that God has forsaken him on the cross. He cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because in that moment, in that moment, God seeing his son Jesus on the cross and uh, dying and uh, taking on your sins and my sin looks away. He can't behold Jesus on the cross as a sinner for you and me. He feels the forsakenness of God. But, but when I read that, and, and maybe I'll come back to this later on, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, those three men that he took with him to that special place, and maybe he was talking about all of the disciples, but, but the Bible says he took with him Peter and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, to this special place, and he says, sit here with me and watch. And while I go yonder and pray. And, 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 and in that moment, you know, when he comes back and they've fallen asleep, he finds out, he realizes, he sees that they don't even understand what he's going through. Rather than watching, rather than fighting to stay awake and watching, all he wanted was their presence. All he wanted was them to be with him at this critical moment in his ministry. You know, he knows what he's facing, but, but those closest to him, those, the ones that he took with him to the Mount of Transfiguration, the ones that, that he had all 12 of them, but, but there were three that were special, and, and, and they didn't even get what was going on. They didn't see, they didn't perceive his agony. They didn't perceive his hurt. They didn't perceive his pain. Yet they've walked with him for three years and they've allowed him to enter. He's allowed them to enter into a special place with them. And they missed it. They missed it. They were asleep. They fell asleep at a critical point. In Jesus' ministry and life, he felt the aloneness. He felt forsaken even before he got to the cross by those who should have been closest to him, closest to him. But Gethsemane speaks to us. 
Gethsemane speaks, and we, we, need, to, we, need, to, we need to hear uh, the message at Gethsemane because it's filled with some deep, deep meaning. Now, now, sleepiness is not necessarily what the physical sleepiness that, that the Lord is dealing with here. You can be asleep. You can miss God and be totally wide awake. You can miss what God is doing and be totally physically wide awake. Yeah. The flesh, the flesh just gets in the way. When the flesh gets in the way, we, we tend to, to miss God. We, we can come to church every Sunday and miss God. Are y'all listening? Amen. We can come to church every Sunday and miss God. We can do ministry every weekend and miss God. Miss God. Because we, we're asleep. We're asleep. And many times the body of Christ, yeah, yeah. So, so Gethsemane, somebody say Gethsemane. What does Gethsemane mean? What is, what is the message of Gethsemane? Gethsemane speaks to the place of crushing and pressing in Jesus' life. Amen? Uh, Gethsemane is what literature writers would say, I guess, is a corruption into English of two Hebrew words. Gath, and I'm not going to pronounce this correct. Shemaning. That's close enough. <laughs> Brother Mana speaks Hebrew. <laughs> Amen. Uh-huh. Um, it, it, it may mean the place where oil is pressed, okay? And, and when you study the archaeology of that time, there were oil presses all around uh, the area at this time and all around Israel and throughout the Mediterranean region because, as I said, that's what they grew. That's how many people made their living. Uh, but when you think about this and you, and you look at it and you study it, you see there are two parts uh, to the pressing. Okay, there are two parts to the pressing. Uh, first is the crushing. First is the crushing, then comes the pressing, all right? Uh, so I was looking at this last night and, 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 and just, just, just looking at this. And I actually had seen this on, on one of the uh, shows that I, that I like to watch. You know, so you have them gather the olives and, and they put them in this, on this big, in this big stone area, this may be not so deep, but there's a big stone that rolls around and crushes the olives. Amen. To burst open the hull. Okay. This is the first part of the process. Okay. Bursting open the hull. And as I, as I thought about this and, 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 and asked the Lord, how was Jesus crushed in Gethsemane? Well, well he was crushed in Gethsemane, and we see what we're seeing, the Lord allows us to see Jesus' humanity here. If you've never noticed his humanity before, but the, the Lord allows us to see it in Gethsemane. He's crushed by the weight of what lies ahead of him. Amen? 
He, he agonizes in prayer. We, we sense this, this crushing, this, this painfulness of, 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 of what lies ahead of him. Amen? He, he even prayed that, that there might be another way, as I said, because this is a painful, this is an agonizing experience that he's going through. Even before he goes through it, amen, he deals with the agony of it in Gethsemane. In Gethsemane. He's crushed, thinking about being the righteous son of God and now having, take, having to take on sin. You become the sacrifice for your sins and mine. It's crushed. Crushed. So you think about this. If Jesus prayed first, if the Lord Father, oh, my Father, if there is another way, God had to prepare him in Gethsemane. The human, the man, Jesus. God had to prepare him in Gethsemane. Jesus was struggling with what he had to face. Jesus. Somebody said Jesus. My brothers and sisters, don't be so hard on people who struggle with stuff. Sometimes we act like we never struggled with anything. Jesus struggled. And God had to allow this spirit, this, this experience to crush him. Jesus was crushed by the fact that those closest to him had no idea of the severity of that moment for him. How can you be so close to Jesus and don't know what he's feeling? You know, there are times husband and wives, we're so close to each other that we can sense what the other person is going through. God put people in our lives who become so close to us that they can sense what we're going through. But guess what? You have to be attentive. You have to be attentive. These disciples, fellas, you say, Pastor, they were tired. Jesus said, what? Could you not watch with me for one hour? I mean, don't, don't you sense the severity of this moment? And you allow your flesh to get in the way. I know what it is to struggle when you get sleepy. Sometimes I'm riding down the highway and taking, used to take not as many as I used to long drives, and I get sleepy. So I do something to keep myself awake. All of us know that if you're sleepy, you don't sit down. Because if you sit down after a while, amen, it's, you're gone, it's over. So there were things they could, if they had understood the severity of the moment. Sometimes, saints, we don't understand the severity of what Jesus went through to bring about our salvation. 
We don't understand the severity of it. When I look at this scripture, and, you know, I was, when I was preparing the message, I said this is a wonderful Easter message, but Easter is every day for us. So, so I'm saying, you know, sometimes we don't understand the severity of what Jesus went through to bring about our salvation. So, so that's why we play around with, with, with faith and religion. Because we're not focusing in on the severity of what Jesus went through. But when you study the scripture, even before you get to Calvary, you sense the severity of this moment for Jesus. So these, these disciples who pledged to be with him, even if you die, I'll go with you. You know, some people join the church and say, Pastor, the Lord sent me and I'm going to be with you. And that's why I look at people because, you know, it doesn't take much for some people to be. <laughs> oh, Pastor, you don't understand. I understand. I do understand. Because people say things they don't mean. Sometimes people say things to impress you. Sometimes people have good intentions. Somebody said the, the way to hell is paved with good intentions. Now, that's not the Bible. That's just an old saying. Pastor, I'm going to be with you. Yeah. 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 But God allowed Jesus to go through this. In Gethsemane, before he gets to the cross, because it was best for Jesus to deal with this beforehand, because his flesh was saying, God, is there another way? Yeah. Yeah. For you and me, if God is to get the best out of us, we have to be crushed. Now, that doesn't sound... So wonderful for God who's supposed to be a loving God. And it's so wonderful that we get saved and, and that we're in the Lord and, 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 and that, that we're serving the Lord. It just sounds so, so wonderful. And why would God have to allow us to be crushed to get the best out of us? Because, you know, sometimes we think, wasn't I crushed in the world? I mean, you know, when I was in the world uh, serving the, 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 the devil, I mean, he only came to steal, kill, and destroy. And he did a whole lot of stuff to destroy my life, to tear up my life. So why would God have to allow me to be crushed to get the best out of us, out of me? You see, God knows that in all of the crushing we might have experienced in the world, maybe people talking about us, maybe doing stupid things, there's still something good inside of us that needs to come out. Amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that only the question of God can accomplish. Yeah, yeah. There is a sin nature that has to be crushed. There is pride in us that has to be crushed. Oh, my brothers and sisters, I mean, if you want to see pride, look at the body of Christ. I mean, pride flashes in our face in the body of Christ. Not just among people in the pews, but sometimes people in the pulpit. Pride flashes in our face. 
I was in a meeting. And I don't care if the person is watching Facebook right now and hears me because I'm just telling the truth. I was in a meeting, and one preacher said to another, oh, I see you have on such and such of shoes, some expensive shoes. And the other guy laughed and looked at him, and he had this bag that was also very expensive. And he said, the other guy said, I know that's vanity, and laughed. Well, if you know it's vanity, why are you being vain? Pride. 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 I mean, if you want to see pride, look in the church. I mean, you know, people love the stage. People love the forefront. Young man looked at me one time and he said, he said, Bishop, I want you to let me preach. He said, I see all those people looking at you, and they look up to you, and they respect you, and I want that. I said, first of all, son, this is more than what you see with your natural eye. You only see me preaching on Sunday. You don't see what goes on behind the scenes as a pastor. Then it's not mine to give. It's not mine to give. I, I, no, 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 no. I don't prophesy, and you may say I'm wrong for saying this. I don't prophesy unless I'm sure the Lord is saying a people to preach. Mm-mm. Now, I still believe in God calling people to preach. And I will confirm the call on your life if the Lord leads me to do it, but I'm not prophesying you. You're supposed to be preaching. And so if you're waiting on me to prophesy, then you need to go find somebody else to prophesy that over your life because I'm not prophesying. And as we taught our youth this morning, we want to be faithful to the Scriptures. Amen. It is critical that we're faithful to the Scriptures. Amen. And so we cannot teach and, and give words from the Lord that's not, that's not a witness in the Word for that. So you, that's why God has to crush us. I mean, you see it on television. You, you see pride in the church. Look in the music industry. You see pride. You know, sometimes just because you have a good voice doesn't mean there's an anointing on your life. You just have a talent. But it's the anointing that destroys the yoke. Sometimes I look at people and they're twirling up and down and they can go all up here, stuff I never even try to do. And my question is, what is the purpose of all of that? So you have to show people what your range is. Sing the song to the glory of God. Because you can hit high notes, doesn't excite me. But oh, but you see people. You see people jump up on that seat. Sing, sing, sing. Ain't no glory of God in that. So if you want to see pride and vanity, then look in the church. And God has to crush us. Because a whole lot of us still have a hull, even after we've been saved 
we still have a hull covering us. God can't get to the oil until he crushes that hull. Oh, yeah. And God will crush us if we don't resist. Sometimes we're so caught up in what we want that we don't allow God to crush us. Every time we get on the wheel, we jump off. We're complaining. God, why do I have to go through this? We, we complain rather than submitting to the process. Now, the process isn't easy. Jesus, Jesus cried, but he submitted to the process. And he didn't complain. He just asked the question, if it be possible, there's any other way. But when he prays the second time, he doesn't ask that question. When he prays the second time, he prays, Lord, he said, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Now, 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 now to be certain, he's talking about the cup of God's wrath that's going to be poured out on him because of the sins of the world, your sins and my sins. Then comes the second part of the process. Because, see, after they, after they crushed the olives, they gathered them up and they put them in, and, and, and then uh, the explanation is they put them in rough sacks. Somebody said rough sacks. Have you ever had to be treated rough? Now, you know, folk in the church, we don't like to be treated rough. She hurt my feelings. He didn't speak to me. She said things the wrong way. He was too sharp. We want to be handled with kid gloves. And we forget that iron sharpens iron. Have you ever struck two pieces of iron together? Sparks will fly. How do we get to the point that we get beyond the feeling level? How does the body of Christ get to the point that we get beyond being so touchy? You know, I, 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 don't, I meant to say something to, to, to Sister Erica. I may have, maybe I said it. Because it is not, not anything she did wrong. But we started this because folk were getting offended by emails and stuff and texts. And, so. and sometimes, you know, you really have to talk to people face to face because you can take a text the wrong way. But just a friendly reminder. Stop typing that. Stop putting friendly in there. You're in the church. You just need a reminder. That's all you need, a reminder. You don't have to be friendly. If you're that sensitive that somebody goes, this is a friendly reminder. It's something wrong with your faith. It's something wrong with your maturity level. Well, I just won't come back. Whoop, whoop to do. <laughs> Grow up. They put, do you think this was easy for Jesus? They, they gather up the crushed olives 
And they put the, oh, now you're sitting, Sister Erica, I was looking way back there for you. <laughs> and and they, they, they put them in rough sacks. And then they t- stacked them on top of each other, kind of like we have this communion stack. And, 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 and there, is, there is a heavy stone that they put on top of it with a plank, piece of wood, maybe a, a sturdy tree, log that's cut, and with a short distance, on the end of it, they put heavy weights, and it begins to press down on those olives that have been crushed. And the heavier the weight, the more pressure you put on it, the more oil that comes out. The more the pressure, the more oil comes out of it. I don't know if any of you ever, people don't make homemade lemonade anymore. Some people do. I make homemade lemonade. You know, I'm a homemade person, right? So, you know, you roll those lemons, you know, you get them soft and you got the end out and you start squeezing them. You know, and you start twisting them around in your hand. And the more you squeeze and the more you twist, the more juice comes out. And, 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 and the image of that with the, with the, with the press, the, those heavy stone, is that the more they, that, that weight goes down on, that, on those crushed olives, the more oil. So then there is the crush crushing, and then there is the pressing that has to take place. Mm. Because you don't just need the crushed olives, you need the oil. You need the oil. You need the oil. You need the oil. Oil in the in the Bible is 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 a symbolism of the presence of the Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. It is a it, it is a symbol of the presence of the Spirit of God. Oil was used for anointing priests. Amen. And oil is used to bring bring light. They use it as fuel in the in the in the in the temple with the with the menorah. They would have to use the oil. God told them to use the the the, the, the fresh oil of the olives. Amen. To keep the light burning. And and God spoke to, to Aaron and said, You're to keep this light burning regularly. It says continually when you read it in the English text, but it all night long, every day, they were supposed to keep that light burning. Oil is important because it shows us the presence of God. It, it, it allows us to see God's special blessings on those that he's set apart and sanctified. And it, it helps us to stay burning brightly. God, I need your anointing. I need your anointing. I need your presence continually, not, not intermittently. I need it continually. I need it continually. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so in, the, in this hour, Jesus is going through crushing, and then he's going through pressing. God is, is pressing him in this time of, of, of prayer and, and agony and, and dealing with what's facing him. Jesus is dealing with that. 
depressing. Depressing. She becomes the sacrifice for your sins and mine. He's being pressed. He's being pressed. He couldn't just walk away from God. He couldn't walk away from his assignment. And it was not an easy assignment. Not an easy assignment. He was being pressed. Yeah, yeah. In your Gethsemane experiences, and if, if you're saved, you're going to have some Gethsemane experiences. You've got to know. You, somebody say, I've got to know. Under the pressure that you're under in your Gethsemane experience, you've got to know that the presence of the Lord is with you. I didn't say you got to feel. You see, in Gethsemane, Jesus knew that the presence of God was with him. If he, if he didn't sense God's presence, he wouldn't have prayed, oh, my father. He knew that God was with him. You see the difference? In Gethsemane, he prayed, oh, my father. And God ministered to him. On Calvary, he didn't pray and ask God. On Calvary, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt the forsakenness, the presence of God, he didn't sense anymore. Now for us saints, listen to me good. When you're being pressed, when you've been crushed, and you're being pressed because God is getting the oil, getting the best out of you, it's going to feel like God is not with you. I said, it's going to feel like God is not with you. Now, now, as much as it troubled Jesus that those who were closest to him fell asleep, he didn't sense that God had forsaken him. He knew that his father was with him. So, so there are times in ministry, you know, when, when, when pastors go through things and, they, and, and, and people have promised that they're going to be there and you find out that they're not there. The thing that keeps you going is to know that God is with you. When you feel like God is not with you, you've got to know that you know that you know. So you stand on the word of God. God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Oh, my God. Oh, my, oh, my God. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Presence. Anointing. Oil. Pressed. Get that oil. It symbolizes God's presence. His presence. with you in the pressing. God is with you. So they threw three boys, young men in the fiery furnace. But when Nebuchadnezzar looked in, he said, I see four. Didn't we throw three in? 
But I see four. And the fourth one looks like the Son of God. The Lord was with them. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what pressing thing you're feeling in your spirit today. But you've got to know that God is with you. When you feel like you're all alone, you've got to know that God is with you. Just your presence, Lord. Just your presence, God. Just your presence, God. Hallelujah. Gethsemane. Gethsemane also speaks of the mingling of oil and wine. Yeah. When you look at the Hebrew of the words gat and shamanim, shamanim, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's similar to the Hebrew word shimon. Okay? Here's with oil. And a literal translation of gat shamani would be wine press of oil. Wine press of oil. Now, we, we, we think of oil press, but we don't normally think of wine press of oil. But it speaks of wine press of oil. So, when you understand the word, it, 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 it adds the imagery of, of a wine press. And it brings a different dimension to the picture. Amen. Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 when, when you understand wine in the Bible, wine literally gladdens the heart, okay? Now, now, in the Bible, it wasn't to be used to get drunk, all right? Yeah, it was a gift from God. It, it, listen now, it symbolizes the favor of God, a fa uh, yeah, the, the, the favor of God, okay? And, and, and there are several pictures in the scriptures, amen, uh, uh, of wine and oil symbolizing the favor of God. Amen. Psalm 104, verse 14 through 15 says, He makes grass grow from the, for the cattle and, and, and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth and wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to sustain the heart. Hosea 2 and 8. I was the one, God says, who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavishes on her the silver and gold. And another scripture in Hosea that I won't read, and Joel, amen, Joel 2 and 24, says the threshing floor will be filled with grain, the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. So when we look at this and we think about gladdening the heart and making the heart joyous and the favor of God, amen, the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus brought about our salvation, amen, and also allows the Holy Spirit to be poured out on those who believe in him, all right? There is joy in our salvation, amen? For those of us who are saved, there's joy in our salvation, Amen. And, and joy in the promise of what is to come in eternity. 
Because I'm saved now, I have the first fruits of eternal life. Because I'm saved now, I know that when I die, I will live with God eternally. Yeah. So in this life, trials and tribulations, amen, pressure and suffering are part of the human experience. None of us will escape it. Amen? We're going to go through some things. Amen? We might as well make up our minds that we're going to go through some things. Amen? Christians do not escape suffering. Christians do not escape pressure. Christians do not escape trials and tribulations. But because of Jesus Christ... We have the joy of knowing that God is with us through these times of pressure, that God is with us through these times of suffering, and that he will allow it, and he allows it because the final outcome will be good for us. I learned a long time ago that if God allows something in my life, he does it for his glory and for my good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why James says, count it all joy. When you fall in the divers' trials, because you know that the trial of your faith develops patience. And when patience has had its complete work, you shall be complete and lacking nothing. So when you're going through things, you got to get stepped back. And you got to look at this thing and not complain about it. And you got to say, God, I thank you. Because you see something that I don't see. You know something that I don't know. You are allowing me to go through some things, but you have promised me that you will be with me. And I've got joy because I'm saved. Because I'm saved. I know that all things, not just because I'm saved, because I'm saved and I'm in the Word. Somebody say I'm in the Word. Don't tell no lie now. I know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. Hallelujah. So as that song says, I won't complain. My goodness, hallelujah. There have been times I started complaining and I had to shut my mouth because God was doing something. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, 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 so not only am I in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the oil press, but, but I'm in the wine in the oil press. And the favor of God is on my life in spite of what I'm going through. Are you understanding? The favor of God is on your life in spite. You're not going through because you sinned. Jesus took care of your sin on the cross. Oh, my goodness. I know we don't like to say it like that, you know. Ah, but he did. He, he took care of our sin on the cross. Yeah, and that's the Bible says if we sin, if we confess our sins, the Lord is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and the cleansers of all unrighteousness. God is not sitting in heaven with a big stick looking to knock you up beside your head when you make a mistake. But when you understand your position in the Lord, amen, your love for God begins to draw you closer to God. And when God allows you to be pressed, Hallelujah. You know God is doing it for something good in your life. And now you understand that it's because his favor. Yeah. 
Rest on your life. Ooh. Let me finish this. Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Hallelujah. Is a place of crushing and pressing. Gethsemane is the place of the mingling of the oil and the wine. Gethsemane is also the place uh, where promise and purpose collide. Gethsemane. Where promise and purpose collide. Oh, my goodness. Uh, after Peter cuts this soldier's ear off, oh, you, you, you're in the scripture, right? So, so when Jesus finishes praying the third time, he says to them, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is already at hand. So they were coming for him. They, Jesus, Judas was leading this band of centurion people from the Sanhedrin, maybe some others in the crowd, to come and arrest Jesus. And when they get there, Peter draws the sword. Remember now, they went to sleep when Jesus was praying because they didn't get it. They didn't understand. They were still looking for a political messiah. You know, Jews had always looked for somebody to come and liberate them from the Romans. And, 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 and throughout the ministry of Jesus, they just didn't get it. So Peter draws the sword and cuts the man's ear off. Jesus puts the ear back and heals the man. And he says to them, put your sword, verse 52, in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will send, he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Oh, about what? 72,000 angels God could have sent. All Jesus had to do was ask. All he had to do was ask. How then, he says, listen now, how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen like this? If I pray for angels to come, if we start a revolution, how can the scriptures be fulfilled? It says it must happen like this. Are you understanding? Jesus, who prayed, if it's another way, Lord, let this be, this cup be taken away from me. But since there's not another way, shall I drink this cup? Your will be done. Now, his disciples want to stop this revolution, but Jesus says, don't do this. I really don't need you to start a revolution. All I've got to do is pray to my Father, and he will send 12 legions of angels. But how could the scriptures be fulfilled? Ooh. In Matthew, way back in Matthew chapter 4, in the temptation account, 
Jesus has been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. In the second temptation, his answer to Satan was, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus, the word made flesh and dwelt among us. In these last days, Hebrew scripture says, God has spoken to us through his son, Jesus, the word. The one who says, man shall not live by bread alone. He could have said, man shall not live in good times alone. Jesus, the promised Messiah. He is the promised Messiah. But the fact that he is the promised Messiah means nothing until he collides with his purpose. Jesus, this got to happen. You still don't get it. You still don't get it. You see, in Gethsemane, we see promise and purpose colliding. There's no other way for Jesus to fulfill the will of God. Well, let me try to put it in our terms. It's one thing for us to get excited about the promises of God. But there will come a time in each of our lives when the promises of God will collide with God's purposes for our lives. come a time. All of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Yes, they are. Why? Have you ever asked yourself the question, why is God blessing me? Why is God raising me up? Why is God elevating me? You'll find out when promise collides with purpose. God didn't save you just to come and sit in the pew on Sunday morning. There's a purpose in your life. And I've heard old people when they're on, this, on their deathbed thought they were going to die and they get well, they say, God is leaving me here for something. Have you found out what it is? What's your purpose? You see, we enjoy the promises. We shout on the promises. We dance over the promises. Amen. You are the head and not the tail. You are above only and not beneath. You shall, your, your enemy will come against you one way. They'll flee seven ways. We like those scriptures. But one day, promise is going to collide. The purpose. question is, Will you, like Jesus, have the faith to say, your will be done? And then go to the cross. And then go to the cross. And then 